This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us and for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram and Facebook. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my amazing, adorable service dog, Lovey. And we're excited to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we'll be visiting with Suzanne Clothier. And many of you are like me and are huge fans and know Suzanne as the international dog trainer rock star that she is. And also you know her as the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Bones Would Rain from the Sky, which is awesome. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Suzanne Clothier to the show. So now I've got this pack of four Sharpay Rescue dogs for, oh my goodness, probably five, six years. They get a regular diet of Dynavite with every meal. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. People remark on what beautiful coats they've got. I tell them, you don't need to wait until a problem presents itself. It's far better to keep the dog happy and healthy at all times. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. I get my Dynavite from D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're so excited to have Suzanne Clothier with us today. Hello, Suzanne, and welcome. Hey, Marcy. How are you doing today? Great. And we're just so thrilled that you could be with us. We have really wanted you to be on the show for a long time, Suzanne, to talk about your amazing work. But Suzanne, I have to start out and, you know, you've had and you continue to have such an impact on our relationships with dogs and and even how assistance dogs are trained. You've had a huge impact in that industry. But first of all, I want to start out and ask you to please take us back and tell us when you realized that you had this gift and that you wanted to spend your life working with dogs and their human partners. Uh, that's, a, that's a long time ago now, Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> take us back, Suzanne. Take us there. Yeah. <laughs> take us way back in history. So I, I think the story that my mom, um, when she was alive, would tell was that when I was four or so, what happened frequently at the house was that the neighbors would knock on the door and ask, do you have our dog or do you have our cat? And she would initially say, of course we don't. And then she learned to go find me and she might find me in a closet. She might find me in an upstairs bedroom. And yes, indeed, I, I certainly did have it. And she said, she remembers watching me try to train, I think, five dogs at once. And she said she wasn't sure she should just go out and, and try to help me or just watch because I was trying to train all five dogs that I'd stolen from the neighbors to like obviously do like a sit stay or where I got that idea I have no idea but yeah so that was like by age four I was quite sure 
that I had the magic touch of whatever it was. Um, I don't know what kind of child goes and steals multiple dogs and then decides to train them as a group, but maybe I saw too much Disney or circus acts or I don't know. But anyway, I'm pretty sure I, I learned this to, to speak so I could ask for a horse. That was pretty much why I learned English. I but love it's a it. Long thing. It's, yeah, it's, it's not a moment where I thought, boy, I hate my corporate job and pantyhose and gosh, if I could just do something that really moves me. It's like, nope. I'm pretty sure I, I drew breath because I was pretty sure outside my mom there were animals and I had to go find them. I love that so much. I knew it was going to be something like that. That's so great. <laughs> That's lovely. I mean, it really is. It's in your DNA, absolutely, to do the work that you're doing. So how did it evolve, Suzanne? How did you grow into being a, a professional trainer? I literally just grew up because wherever there were animals, that's where I would be. You know, if I was going to get lost as a kid, my mother would just look around. Was there any animal? It could be a goldfish in a bowl. It could be one memorable Christmas. It was a live crash at a gas station. I don't know why they had live crashes at a gas station, but there you have it. So yes, I had slipped out of the car and gone over and I was busy talking to the donkey and the sheep. and the cow. <laughs> So by age eight, I had a, a neighbor who had a dog, and I didn't have a dog until I would go play with Chip the Collie and take him for walks and brush him. And the woman said, I will pay you, you know. And I was like, what? <laughs> What's this? What? Wow. <laughs> so it wasn't like the money. I was like, what? I can make money doing this. That's not it. I just thought, well, okay. Like, you know, sure. I'm eight years old. I'll take a quarter. Um, It's all good. <laughs> And so it just went on from there. So by age 14, somehow I had talked my mom into letting me run an in-home boarding channel. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course. I'm like, and it wasn't like the family was a great big set of, you know, dog lovers and we had a big farm and mom said, sure, you can have that part of the barn. No, we lived in suburban New Jersey. And every other week I had a different animal because I boarded someone else's dog while they went on, on vacation. So, yeah, um, it just always made sense to me, and I was a barn rat. So starting at age 12, all free available time was spent at the barn working my little fingers and joints to the bone on behalf of, you know, I would get to ride for one hour. I would I would work for anywhere from 14 to 28 hours. <laughs> it made uh, perfect sense to me. Yeah. Paying the price now. <laughs> Not things you should do with a growing body, but, yeah. So it just went from there. So wherever there was a... Wherever there was a choosing in the path, you could go this way or that way. If that way led towards animals, that's the way I went. There was no question. My grandparents even offered to pay for my full college, you know, ride if I would become a librarian, which I just was so puzzled by that concept. (laughs) (laughs) That was their animals. Ah. No animals. (laughs) I'm like, why? And they said, because you love to read. I'm like, I love to eat too, but I'm not going to be a chef. (laughs) No, no. So. At every turning, even without the support of anyone but my mom. No. Which which way did the road go? Towards animals? That's the path I took. It was one detour. I got to confess. I had one brief detour of two days, and I got tired at some point of being a dog trainer. I was frustrated with clients, and I became a temporary secretary. I lasted two days. (laughs) That's because I I finished the one assignment that was a two-day assignment, and I thought, wow, this is horrible. (laughs) I'm, I'm, done. A, I'm a trainer. That's it, man. Okay. 
That oh, cured well, me it's, for good. It's so fabulous that your mother saw that in you and supported that. That's so wonderful that she would do that for you. So I'm so glad you had that experience. Yeah. She was amazing because she was also terrified of horses. So she would she would drop me off at the barn and then not ask really hard questions about why my shirt sleeve <laughs> yeah. was torn off or why I was limping or I couldn't breathe too deeply or things I simply didn't tell her about and she didn't ask. And Yeah, she, it, it scared her, um, yeah. but she never, ever put a foot down to stop me. She just said, oh. if that's what you want, you got to help make it happen. Oh, that's such she a good mom that yeah, she could put that mom. aside. And, but she knew that that was the best path for you. And she just yep. didn't want to know those things, which, I, you know, <laughs> denial can be a good thing sometimes. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Do not ask why your daughter can't breathe deeply. Like, right. You don't want to know. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you have gone on to develop so many amazing tools and approaches in having working with dogs and other animals. So tell us about your approach to dog training now. And I love your relationship-centered training approach. So what does that mean? And, and tell us your approach and your thoughts. So I, you know, I, I, like I said, I spent my whole life, if there was an animal, I was, I was interested in interacting, whether that was sitting really, really quietly so that a wild squirrel would come up and take a peanut out of my hand. You know, whether birds would use me as a bird feeder. You know, I've done that. It just animals fascinated me and what we could learn about each other and how we could communicate. And, you know, I remember my boyfriend in high school had a rabbit that um, he had a really long hutch outside and he would always push his food bowl all the way to the far end of the hutch, which meant you had to go get the rake and, and try to reach it and then drag it back. And I thought, well, he likes to push it. Why don't I just teach him to push it to us when we ask him to? <laughs> Wouldn't that be easier? He likes to do it anyway. So that just came natural to me. Like, what? what is it, you know, even my little pet mouse, Sergeant Pepper, you know, what does he like to do and how can I communicate with him? Like, you know, little buddy, when you do that, isn't that fun? That's cool. Try this. And so that was interesting to me. And then I read every book I could find on dog training, which at that point was pretty, pretty old-fashioned, pretty archaic, right? Yeah. Um, so we're talking like the in the 60s and 70s. So I read everything I could, and I tried some of the stuff and, and went to training class with the neighbor's collie, and it was so different from the moments where I was just having a relationship. I was just by myself with a horse or a dog, and no one was telling me what to do or how to teach them something. I had one way of doing it. And then when I was in a riding lesson or in a dog training class or reading a dog training book, and it's like, you must do this and you must do that. And I'm like, okay, you know, they're the experts. They must know. And it felt bad to me. I didn't like it. But I also grew up in a fairly abusive home so that the fact that you would use physical force or, um, you know, if you got angry with an animal, you could you could just haul up and smack them. That's how I was raised. So it didn't, it wasn't like I grew up with Buddhist monks and thought violence is not necessary, boys and girls. It was all around me. I was on the receiving end of it. So it, not that I liked it, but it was part of the norm and there was mm-hmm. nothing unusual about it. But I remember taking, you know, the neighbor's collie. They didn't really want him once he got to be a, a, a pain of that puppy. And I just would take him and train him. And, you know, long before uh, there was ever agility, he, he did all the playground equipment, including the full-blown slide. Wow. Um, yeah. Fine. I, I, Fine. We had an old electric cart with no battery, so I, I macrameed him a, a harness because that was the, you know, the art project then was, was macrame. Yes, so it was. I macrameed a harness for the dog. 
and taught him to drive, and I drove that dog all over town. Um, we were quite well known in the town for, you know, what I could do with dogs. And so how I did that was so totally different from the uh, official training. And it just bugged me. It bugged me a lot. But I pursued it because I, I wanted to be a trainer. And, the, you know, I, I don't know if it's the sad part or the good part. One of the things that made me a professional and got me on other professionals' radars, even when I was quite young, was that I could use punishment or a correction and I could use it in, in with such good timing that the animals still liked me. They understood my point. You know what I mean? It, it mm-hmm. rarely slipped over into abusive. So, yes, I still had animals who, who loved being with me and trusted me and would work for me. I just didn't like the way that felt. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. I agree so with you. That's, that's the, how I felt yeah. when I was trained that way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, uh, it's that, and you don't know how to, to buck against it, right? You're like... Mm-hmm. And if you try, sometimes they'll tell you you're a bleeding heart or you're too soft or yep. you'll never get yep. the results you want. And yeah. You think, well, I'm, I'm not the expert. You are. I mean, I'm, I'm watching you accomplish this with that dog or that horse, and I don't know how to do that yet. But then I started to do stuff that they couldn't accomplish. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I was, you know, shining my own coin there. It was just a matter of it started to register on me. Well, you, your techniques didn't work with this horse. That dog was going to bite you. He didn't try to bite me. In fact, I've got him so he's feeling okay about himself. So, yeah, slowly but surely, I, I kept thinking this, this rift is, is widening between the relationships that I have with my animals and training them. And I thought, ah, something's not right here. And so bit by bit, slowly, surely, surely, bit by bit, I started to try to peel away. Where's the conflict? Why is there conflict? And, aha, surprise, a lot of it was, you know, my ignoring signals that I would never have ignored in a non-training moment. So that was that was really interesting to me. Yeah, like so what? What did you notice, Suzanne, when you said yeah, that? Like if, you know, if, if I was walking along with the dog and a dog suddenly stopped and looked at something and said, well, that's really scary to me, I'd be like, oh, well, it's okay, buddy. You know, I got your back and let's, let's check this out. And you can wait here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at that myself and let's see what's what. So the dog heard, you know, he, he knew that I heard him. He knew that mm-hmm. I acknowledged the thing that was on his radar. To me, it would be no different than if I was walking with you and you said, oh, and I'm like, what? And you're like, that thing. I'm like, honey, that's a fungus on a tree. It's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks like an alien, but it's just a big mushroom. If I said, oh, Marcy, whatever, get over yourself. Mm-hmm. A whole lot of friendship there. Um, right. But in training, right, if the dog said, I don't want to do that or that's scary or that's too much, the mindset was, oh, he's just trying to get away with something. And I kept thinking, get away with what? With being scared, yeah. with being confused, with not thinking this was fun or enjoyable? How dare he? Yeah. Well, we are going to take just a quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors who we love. So come right back after these quick messages. It's October, and there are spooky scares everywhere. When it comes to your dog's everyday health, you don't have to be spooked when you have daily dose. 
daily dose is a two-in-one dog chew that pairs a powerful dental scrub with vet-developed supplements for full body health and seriously clean smiles. Now pay attention through October 31st. Enter for a chance to win all four bags of daily dose in coming joint, heart, and skin health. Just post a picture of your pup smile with the hashtag SeriousSmileSweeps to any of PetLife Radio's Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook pages. Good luck! <laughs> Visit YourPetsDailyDose.com to save $3 on your first bag with promo code PETLIFE. That's YourPetsDailyDose.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On PetLife Radio. PetLife Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're visiting today with the amazing international trainer, Suzanne Clothier, and was just really enjoying our conversation of, of your experiences, Suzanne, and your amazing approach to working with dogs. I just, it's so beautiful and just love that whole relationship-centered training approach that you've developed. And I, I just wanted to ask you, I, I didn't mention this before the break. One of the other things that I always hear about you is your puppy enrichment protocol. And I know that's had a huge impact on the way that guide and service dog organizations are raising their puppies. Can you tell us about that? What is the puppy enrichment protocol and how do you work with, with organizations like service dog agencies? Right. So the the Enrich Puppy Protocol is a program, a formal program that I developed for breeders and for organizational breeders like guide schools, service dog schools. But it's based on how I've raised the, the dogs that I've bred over my lifetime. So I'm a longtime breeder of German Shepherds. Uh, we're on generation number 10. So I've been doing this a long time, trying to produce really, really nice, solid companions with that are stable and healthy and and beautiful to boot. And then there's a few other breeds that I've, I've um, dabbled in along the way and helping friends out. So what was interesting to me was it was just an offshoot of how I feel. The, you know, relationship-centered training says we're going to keep the relationship central. So all decisions we make as a trainer, how will this affect the relationship? It's going to negatively impact the relationship. We don't do it. So what I started to see was a lot of what people thought I had is some special breeding program or genetics had nothing to do with the genetics as much as it had to do with how I raised the puppies, that they were very, very connected, that they were, you know, people would say, I've had many dogs, but I've not, I've not had a dog like this. You know, it, it, he's like my best friend. He connects so deeply. At first, it was simply, you know, this is how I want to raise puppies. I want to see what happens. I want to see what happens if I do this and this and this and play with them and, and find out who they are. It became more formalized when I was doing some cooperative breeding with Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and they were really quite taken. Um, the senior breeding and, uh, director was quite taken with my puppies and how they turned out because it was not how, um, you know, they raised Labradors and Shepherds, but the puppies were flatter. There's no word for it. You know, they were kind of typical puppies. 
for our puppies, like from the early get-go, without any training, they simply connect. I mean, they look you right in the eye. They are totally there. But it's because that's what we promote. So I began to really look at the science behind what I was doing because as she did some experiments and began to mimic, like, the complexity of the environment, you know, some of the, the organizational kennels, there's nothing for the puppies to do. They're kept clean, they're fed, they're warm, they're dry, everyone loves them, but there's no stimulation, whereas my puppies grow up in, like, a Montessori school exploded in the backyard. <laughs> you know, there's adventures and there's stuff, and, and you can barely walk in the puppy pen because there's, there's this death everywhere and it changes all the time and we take them on adventures when they gave their dogs as much room and gave them stuff to do and to their shock it wasn't the genetics it was the stimulation Mm -hmm. so it's very much like the early stimulation of a child if you figure that a puppy by the time he's about 63 days he's the rough developmental equivalent of a four- or five-year-old child. Imagine if you had a baby and someone said, Hey, Marcy, we'll be back in two months. So I know he can't walk soccer here. <laughs> He's blind, his eyes are closed. But when we come back in two months, he'll be able to run, carry things, remember games, interact appropriately, have the basics of, you know, toileting himself in, in the appropriate places. You're like, what? Yeah, it just seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. It's what puppies do. So if we think of all the things that go into a child from, you know, from birth to four to five years old, all those experiences, all the games people play with them, all the opportunities, all the toys, all the activities, all the interactions, how many of those we have to compress now for puppies, and we have to make sure that we're honoring their developmental train and pack again at the right stations because it goes fast. Mm -hmm. Most people think socialization is, you know, when you get your eight to ten week old puppy, oh, you know, now we start. I don't know how to tell you this, but the bulk of what's happened is already done. So I was working off of instinct and just experience and more experience, and then I began to actually quantify it so that we could replicate it. Um, And I think one of the coolest things is to have puppies that were raised, you know, the clothier way, that the staff at two different schools asked, did we get new breeding stock? And it was actually a repeat litter. They had just raised that same breeding six months earlier. The puppies were so vastly different under my protocol that they actually thought that the school had acquired new breeding. Um, That's tremendous. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was that significant. Yeah, I know. I've just seen a little bit of it with Assistance Dogs of the West, which is where Lovey was trained. And it's so cool. Yeah, the whole just what they're doing is pretty amazing. And it is just like you're describing of really right away, immediately they start interacting and and trying to expose them to all kinds of things, just like you were describing the experiences, the games, the toys, all those interactions. It's It's incredible. You know, you've seen it. So it's not done in a... Let's grab the puppy, and what he's going to learn today is we're going to get a, a clicker and a bucket of cheese, and he's going to learn how to walk across a board. <laughs> uh, it, it's probably one of it's probably one of the worst ways to teach a child. It's probably one of the worst ways to teach a puppy if what you're trying to develop is their own uh, or to make use of is that really innate sense of what's this. If you leave kids or, or young animals alone in an environment that's got stuff to do, 
they will do stuff. <laughs> That's just all mm-hmm. there is to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, actually, we don't do a whole lot of formal training. Like, we teach specific skills. I don't need to do that. I need to prepare that brain so that it is, it's got coordination. It understands the value of connection because someone's there doing what, what's called serve and return interactions. So it's like a baby goes, wah, 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 and the mom smiles and goes, God, I'll go, what is you trying to say, buddy? <laughs> Those are serve return interactions and it's critical for a social animal that when he serves up something, there's someone there to return that. And so that's one of the things that's key in the Enriched Puppy Protocol. Custody mm-hmm. of environment, keeps changing, age-appropriate challenges, and then lots of interaction with people in a way that's supportive of the relationship and the individual. It also helps mm-hmm. us learn about each puppy so that when, you know, Jill chose your dog for you, she could have probably talked for two hours about why. Yeah. Because she knew yeah. so much about that puppy. Right from, you know, the first time we put in a tunnel, she did this, and then we did this, and she did that, but her brother did this, and the, the knowledge you gain from being this involved, it's kind of like a, a great Montessori teacher. They really understand the kid as an individual, and enriched puppy protocol breeders understand their puppies as individuals. Yeah, that's one of the things I love so much about Assistance Dogs of the West is every every dog is an individual, just like you're describing. And this makes so much sense to me and what I've seen and hearing what you're talking about and how they work with their dogs because it's incredible. In fact, I'm um, Lovey is in the process of retiring and I am in the process of getting my successor dog. And he just went to school today. <laughs> he's oh, been living good. with us because of COVID, which has been really awesome. But he's been still going to school. And so he went early this morning <laughs> for oh, his well, full day back. of interaction. Yeah. And yeah, actually, he's they do such a great finished. job there. Such a great job. Oh, yeah. It's very similar to what you're you're describing. And it's, it is incredible of the confidence that it gives these dogs. It's really, it's such a gift to get to see it. Something you learn for yourself on your own terms, not because someone's paying you or pushing you, is completely different than there's just no, it's almost impossible to, to describe the quality until you see it in the animal who says, I got this. I, I know how to do this. I know how to control my body. I know what I can and cannot do. And best of all, I think they also learn that if they say, I, I can't do this or I'm not sure, someone's listening. No one's yeah. going to just give them a collar pop and say, well, get over it, buddy boy. Yeah. Well, I do want to ask you, Suzanne, so many people, so many of our listeners and and people that I hear from regularly, they want to self-train their own service dog for lots of reasons. Some of them, you know, they just can't afford to go through an agency if there's a cost or to travel to an agency to get a dog. So what advice would you have to give to them if they're working to self-train their own service dog? You know, Marcy, that is such a great question that if I was close to you and it wasn't pandemic time, I'd give you a big hug. <laughs> we'll give you a big radio <laughs> hug for, for such a great question. They're very safe. You can always give radio hugs. So the amazing part about training your own service dog is that you can build a really unique relationship. The downside is that if you look at what the organ of the big organizations do, the best of them maybe 40% of the dogs that they bred on purpose with very carefully selected breeding stock, maybe 40% of them make it. So there's a really high risk of failure. 
even among the professionals, and this is what they do every single day, is try to identify which which puppies and dogs are going to be suitable. So the the biggest issue is not the training. If you're if you're dedicated, there's plenty of good programs out there. Um, there's books, there's online courses. Veronica Sanchez, for example, has terrific info on on training a service dog. The problem lies not in the training or the task. It lies in is this dog suitable and can he do what needs doing? Because as you know, with your own service dogs, it's not just can the dog perform the tasks he needs to do to support you. It's can he handle the travel, the people, the places you go, the situations. Um, He doesn't just get flown in for the moment that you need, you know, something retrieved. He has to be able to absorb and and cope with and be really okay with the whole world you're asking him to support. So this is what happens. People get a dog and they love the dog and the dog loves them and the dog's willing to learn stuff, but then he doesn't even have basic manners to go out in public. He's aggressive towards other dogs. He's afraid of other dogs. He's worried about men with hats on. So the dog's going out trying to do his job and he's got 14 other things in his head that he's worried about, like, oh, my God, that track just backfired. I need to go home now. And so this is where having a professional help you select the dog. You may not be able to afford to have someone train the dog for you, but I cannot urge your listeners strongly enough, find a professional with experience in this temperament assessment and make sure they select a candidate for you. Because there's so many things to consider it's kind of like buying a house, right? You're like, oh, I love the big backyard and the kitchen's so sunny and look at all the cabinets and closets. This is why we bring in home inspectors because <laughs> yeah. they're not impressed yeah. by the closets yeah. or the yeah. sunniness of the room. They're like, you do know you have termites over here and the garage mm-hmm. is not black mold. And by the way, your roof's about to cave in on the next storm. You're like, what? But I love this house. Like, okay, but it's, it's going to need this work. And with dogs, it's, it's not that he's a bad dog. It's just whether or not he's suitable. And and from my perspective, Marcy, it's really about is it humane and ethical mm-hmm. to ask this animal to work with us and for us if he has other fears, concerns, or limitations? Yeah. Same way, I yeah. would not take a you know a really anxious person and say, you know what, you're going to be my bodyguard. Like what? Right. <laughs> right. Wait. Right. What? We right. go out after dark. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. Let's stay home. I'll be your bodyguard at home. And so yeah. that's yeah. That's the the catch. So I have no problem with the train. It's not the training. It's the suitability. Mm-hmm. And if you love your dog, you've got to be fair to him. Nobody should ask an animal to to suffer or be uncomfortable to serve them. We need to find the mm-hmm. animals who can say, "I got this. I got this." Yeah. And you know, yeah. Bill and the folks at Assistance Dogs of the West. They're so brilliant at asking the dogs, who are you? What are you good at? Mm-hmm. What are you comfortable with? And they're not going to ask. I remember working with Jill. We were um, a temperament assessing a litter of puppies. And there was one puppy, and he was, he was like a, a lump of clay. <laughs> he was like, hello, you are breathing, mm-hmm. right? He's like, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> Wasn't worried. But he was extremely low-key. And I thought, well, she's surely not going to take him. She goes, yeah, I'll take him too. And I was like, what? So we had this long chat. And she goes, yeah. He's not reacting to anything. He's just, he's just like, I got my gig. He was like a little, you know, flatline. Like not much pushed him off his little um, rhythm of life. And she said, this is a perfect courthouse dog. Because I was going to say, I knew that's sobbing. what she was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's, it's perfect courthouse facility dog. Upset, 
Yeah. He's like, yes. whatever. That's right. I'm mm-hmm. here. You do your human thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that would have been a terrible dog as a dog accompanying people through airports and travel and business and moving through cities and going to meetings and all the stuff we used to do long ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. that would be my advice. You've got to, I love it. I, I, got I to have so a appreciate you. Yeah. That is the best advice. Thank you so much for that. And I, I know our time is running out, but I have another question for you. I also mm-hmm. want to know what advice you would have for someone who's like me, that's a seasoned service or guide dog handler who's been partnered with their dog with dogs, multiple dogs for decades. And when we were taught those very different training techniques, what would you advise them on how they can be more relationship-oriented with their current dog? So I think that the easiest way, and another radio hug for that great question, because it's really hard. If we if we grow up doing things a certain way, it's very, very hard to make the change. That's the pattern we learned. You know, everyone that grows up nowadays knows to put their seatbelt on. But remember when that became a law? We're like, mm-hmm. oh, was, yes. You know, how big yeah. a deal is it? But for us who grew up, you know, five kids piled in the back seat of the Impala with not a seatbelt. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, we would stick my little sister up in the rear window. Like, get up there and give her a pillow and shut up. Yeah. Which so, we cringe at yeah. that now. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> so the thing is, one, you've got to go through the thing, but... I find if I want to help a a client break habits, what I want to do is I want to take the habitual things out of their hands. So I would say take off the leash and collar in a a safe place, in a fenced-in area, you know, in your house. Take the leash and collar off. Don't touch them. Like if you have to touch the dog to make your point, you're probably not very good at making your point. So I will show them ways. Here's how to use toys. Here's how to use your voice. Here's how to use your body. Here's how to use a clicker and, and... and food rewards have a, a really strong place in service dog training. Get rid of the equipment because the tendency is if you have a leash in your hand, it is so hardwired, that muscle memory of, and I, I call it dog trainer elbow, and people don't even know they've done it. The dog doesn't respond quickly enough, and they'll just, that left arm will twitch because they're going to give them a correction. And they don't even intend it. I just take the equipment off. It's like find what you can do with your dog naked. Now you have a relationship. So get rid of the equipment. That's great. Yeah. And yeah, yeah go mind to mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you get resistance instead of, I'm going to correct this, you can't get away with that. I used to make my students fill in the sentence. I can't let him get away with, I was like, no, no, you need to describe what state he's in. So I can't let him get away with being confused. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. no, we can't have that. Um, I can't let him, you know, get away with being bored. Like, he's not getting away with being bored. He's bored. So that sometimes helps is just clarify what you think is going on and then what do you actually see in the body language. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unbelievably empowering, though, and you can teach people that without laying a glove on an animal, they can get that brilliant light. Um, there's an article on my website called How Much Does Cooperation Weigh? Because a woman kept telling me, my dog weighs 70 pounds. I said, well, do you have a husband? She said, yes. Yeah. How much does he weigh? <laughs> And she got quite indignant, and she goes, it's none of your business. I'm like, I, I don't really care how much he weighs, more or less than you. She says, more. I said, oh, how about your dry cleaner? She's like, what? <laughs> so you go in and think, God, that guy goes 250. Uh, uh, how am I going to convince him to, to do my skirt? I don't know. You don't. She goes, well, don't be silly. We communicate. We cooperate. I'm like, yep, there you go. So as soon as you're 
aware that you want to grab the dog, pull the dog, make it happen with a leash, a harness, a collar, guiding, pushing, you're probably on the verge of, yeah, stepping out of what's probably healthy for that relationship. So those are those are good warnings. You're aware of how strong your dog is. It's because you're in conflict with him unless he's pulling you someplace, and then you're grateful for how strong he is. And how would you, so um, uh, for a person who has physical limitations and they're trying to, to do exactly what you're saying without, you know, taking the leash off, taking the collar off, what would you recommend doing in order to start trying to respond to that dog? Because I've been struggling with that with Fenway, my new, my young guy. I'm not used to having one this young, but because of COVID-19, as I said, he's been living with us and he gets really bored because he's so full of energy and he's got so many ideas. So what do you recommend? Playtime? I mean, what would you recommend to build that relationship and that that bond? So that, that one really comes down to the individual dog. You know, for, for some dogs, movement is really important. So can we find ways to get him in motion? Do we have to enlist the help of someone who's better able to take him? You know, if a, a neighbor likes to jog, for example, it's like, take, take, you know, Mr. Mr. Bones here mm-hmm. with you. And it could be, uh, at one point I hired a neighborhood kid to come over and throw balls for my dog while I was writing. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Joe, after yeah. school today, come over. He's like, what? You'll pay me to play with your dog? That's amazing. But I'm a big fan of mental work and interaction. And sometimes people think they have to, like, go get this dog really tired and really just, like, get him until, you know, he'll fall over. It's like, no, this is how you build endurance. So it doesn't get better. <laughs> he just mm-hmm. can do it longer. What I find more useful is constant short little bits is what I call you know, this the training brought to you by the sponsor. A little, you know, commercial blurb comes on the radio, train your dog. You're waiting for the microwave to, to heat something up, train your dog. I, I used to tell some of the train the razors at Guiding Eyes for the Blind, one to three minutes, get an egg timer, turn it over, do all the training you can in that minute, done, move on. So there's little bursts, much more um, entertaining for the dog. And then more mm-hmm. concerted work, I developed a course called Connection, Cooperation, and Control, Uh, We did that with my friend Cindy Knowlton, and it uses food puzzle rewards. So that can be done online, uh, even Mm -hmm. with COVID. um, That course is offered online, and then we have instructors in multiple countries. But that builds a beautiful relationship. It is not dependent on equipment. Um, And, oh, my God, how hard the dogs will work for a chance for that, you know, for you to say, okay, go solve it. And they're like, yes, nailed it. I was so good. And now I get to solve my puzzle. Um, and you can oh. go to the, connect, yeah, the connectionpuzzle.net, and there's tons of videos that you can watch before and afters, and it makes sense to the dogs. Like, oh, work with you so I can... Oh, yeah. yeah. So, oh, I yeah, love yeah. that, Suzanne. Okay, yeah, that's what it's, we're going to do. Really fun. Oh, you will yeah. really love it. And there's three levels, and you will get really beautiful work that mm-hmm. carries over into much more serious and formal work, because... If you don't have that connection and cooperation, yeah. and that's on both parts, right? You both have to be able to communicate. You both have to know how to stay connected because that's the mm-hmm. job as well as the dog. And that's, that's what we, we broke it down into just fun, easy, but wow, super effective. And that was connectionpuzzle.net? The connectionpuzzle.net is where you'll find CCC. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. 
Well, Suzanne, I could talk to you all day. This is so fascinating. And what a gift you are to the dog. (laughs) Yeah, I will. I will. You definitely are welcome anytime to come back. Would really love to, to continue the conversation. And I just really, really appreciate your leadership in the way that you have taught us to interact with our working dogs and our pet dogs but really the impact that, that you've had for all of us with that relationship. And it's just, it's really beautiful. And I thank you for that. And I thank your mom for supporting oh, you. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, that's so wonderful. Well, quickly tell our listeners, so you did tell us this one website. Are there other websites or ways that people can find out, they can connect with you, find out more about your seminars, your videos? I know you do a lot of speaking. How do we find that? So thanks to pandemic, I'm home more. <laughs> Getting on an airplane, traveling around the world is not happening anytime soon. But you can always find out what's going on at SuzanneClothier.com. And we are getting ready to launch a membership site. So we will oh, have great. online courses, self-led courses, ongoing webinars a couple times a month. And there's there's free information. There's you know, very serious master classes and various techniques. Um, so we we got a lot going on that's about to hit in in just the next couple of months. So they go oh, over. Cool. We also have a Facebook page. Yeah, Suzanne Clothier RCT is the Facebook page. Okay, cool. Well, I will definitely share all of this on our website so that our listeners can make sure that they get all these websites and all this yummy access to information that you have. So thank you so much, Suzanne, for being with us. And we really are going to hold you to coming back and visiting oh, with I, us more. I would love to. There's there's always more ideas up my sleeve and projects and little soapboxes I like to get on and and tell everybody, pay attention to this. It matters to your dog. <laughs> Good. Well, that's I, I, I love. I just love knowing that you've got one of one of the assistance dogs of the West dogs because they they just do such a great job. I'm, I'm just so they do. I love them so much. So thankful to be a part of that family. Yes. Oh, yes. All right. right. Well, well thank you so much. You know yeah. okay. I sure do now. Thank you so much, Suzanne. And thank thank you, you, our listeners, for being with us. We love hearing from you and spending this time with you. So thanks so much for joining us. And please, you know, I love to hear your questions, comments, ideas for future shows. So please keep those emails coming. And you know how to reach me. It's Marcy, M-A-R. C-I-E at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can also follow Working Like Dogs on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we just have so much fun seeing your photos of your working dogs and the incredible work that they're doing with you every day. So please keep those coming and take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.